Hi, this is Writing Excuses, episode three, Killing Your Darlings. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. Let's get to it. Dan, Killing Your Darlings, what do we mean by that? What we mean by that is that when you write something and become very attached to it, that doesn't mean it's a good idea to keep it. You often have to cut it out of the story, even if it's a main character, a beloved scene, a really good line, a wonderful joke. For the sake of the whole, you have to kill the really, really good little parts. Sometimes. Yeah, I've heard it explained sometimes that you will imagine this perfect story that you're going to tell, and that becomes the first wall in this house you're building. You'll start building the other walls, and they will rest, they will depend upon this first wall to keep the, um, keep the, the building straight and steady. But then by the time you're done, you realize that first wall that you built doesn't fit the rest of the house, and it's time to knock it down. So the question I, ha I have is, um, how do you know when you ha it's time to kill your darlings? Howard? Oh, boy. Um, because I work day-to-day uh, -day and, and week-to-week and often can't see the end from the beginning and, and don't have the luxury of going back through a manuscript and uh, murdering my adorable <laughs> little uh, dalliances with dialogue or side characters, uh, often I find that uh, my, my little darlings live. See, but you've got to have times where you've planned out a plot, and by the time you get there in doing the comic, you realize the ending that you planned doesn't work. Zinchub's toupee. Mm -hmm. um, the storyline that I'm finishing up right now, when, when I first, uh, first conceptualized that, I thought it would be really funny. Zinchub's on this planet where everybody has arms on top of their heads and has gone into hiding and has a toupee. Mm -hmm. And that image drove the first uh, several weeks of story design, and then I realized that Zinchub was not going to be the one who got the toupee. So why, how'd you realize that? What made you realize that the thing that made you start wanting to do this story needed to go? Uh, the story had a life of its own that was bigger than that one idea. Dan, do you have any examples any times you've had to kill darlings? I think uh, for me, the, the way that I can tell that it's time to kill a darling is through the rewrite process. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the most valuable part of the rewrite process is because it forces you to reconsider things that seemed like a wonderful idea at the time, but you can look back at them in light of other things. For example, in uh, my recent book, I had a really great line. I loved this line. Um, and it fit the first version of the scene perfectly. But after running it through a writing group, after having some comments, after finishing the entire book, I knew that scene had to change. And I rewrote it three or four times, always maintaining that line, and it never worked. And I eventually had to concede that the reason the scene rewrite wasn't working is because I was trying to preserve a line that did not fit the new version. And I had to cut that out. Still saddens me, but it had to happen. Um, I've found that with me, killing my darlings usually comes because other people point out weaknesses. Um, it's very difficult. It's getting easier for me the more I write, but particularly early on, I couldn't recognize it on my own. Uh, best examples of Launchers, the first book I published, um, I had this character I just thought was awesome. Um, it was the main character's insane brother who came in, and he was just a ball of laughs. Uh, yeah, you know, it's based on my brother. No. Um, it was, he was just awesome. He did crazy, wonderfully crazy stuff. For a writer, it really shakes it up. It makes it more interesting to write when you've got someone who can just be off the wall. Um, it's throwing all sorts of chaos into the other characters' lives. You love chaos. You love conflict. The problem is I'd put him in at the three-quarter mark. 
And the three-quarter mark in a book is not the place to introduce a new villain um, who came in and threw everything into chaos. The three-quarters mark is where you're pushing toward the ending. Um, and I, I love this character. I sent it to my agent. He said, this book is great. This character's got to go. And I said, what? He's the best character in the book. He's like, yeah, it's got to go. Um, he's ruining the rest of the book. And it took me a long time, like, you know, conversations with him, several weeks worth of thinking about before I realized he was right and this character needed to be cut. Um, and it was really tough to do. So I guess my next question for you guys is, how do you get to the point where you can do that? How, how can you be both attached and detached from your story enough that you are willing to kill your darlings? Start getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> Money brings a whole new level of detachment. My editor has told me that this must mm -hmm. die. My editor is the one who is writing me checks, or rather my editor's yeah. mm -hmm. publisher is the one who is writing me checks. I hand me the axe. Um, I had a very interesting conversation at uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything, which mm -hmm. is uh, uh, the local, local symposium here for mm -hmm. uh, fantasy and science fiction writers. I think it was Stacy Whitman who was uh, talking to us about the, the process of killing little darlings, and she said that for some authors, it is, they, they go into it as a negotiation process. They know that somebody is going to want somebody being their editor to prune their book, and so they will deliberately put chapters and characters in the book that they know are fluffy and bad mm -hmm. so that when the editor says, oh, you need to, you need to cut uh, 20,000 <laughs> words out of this book, okay, well, I'll cut this and this and this. Oh, and that character needs to die. No, no, I've already done so much for you. Mm -hmm. I, and I listened to that and I thought, that's uh, intellectually dishonest mm -hmm. and atrocious and horrible and I can totally see myself doing it <laughs> if, it's uh, if I were so on top of everything yeah. else. I have to do that. Dan, <laughs> how, how do you get enough detachment to something you're so attached to? Um, in, in, what, what I do is I've started keeping a file. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to reuse any of those darlings but I keep a file of them. Mm. And then I can tell myself, yes, I'm killing it now, but someday I will raise it from the dead in another book. That's a great Reincarnation. idea. Oh, that's a great it, idea. It, it allows me to uh, be emotionally detached while still maintaining a little bit of a connection. For me, um, I think it's pure number of books. Um, I work, you know, when I was trying to get published, I wrote multiple different books. I had so many, I got to the point I had so many properties that while I was attached to each of them, it wasn't quite so hard to cut the arm off of one. Um, and then the second thing that told me, um, that, that helped me was the, the advent of the, the internet. Um, and my marketing on the internet, I can now, I now have deleted scenes, which are, you know, they, they can live on in the director's cut on my website, which has just been wonderful. You know, talking about deleted scenes, I posted to my blog uh, a few weeks back, and this is something that we can link to in the liner notes mm -hmm. for this uh, podcast, I think. Uh, I posted the original outline for oh, right. my time travel that. story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the little darlings, in fact, it wasn't the little darling, it was the original concept for that time travel story was, I am going to do a time travel story in which I monkey with the archives that have already been published so that readers who are reading the story in its continuity will say, oh, okay, and then the reader, the, the guy goes back in time and the follow what did that scene look like? And they will go back and the image has changed. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, wow, this is brilliant. This has never been done and it can only be done in a webcomic. Mm -hmm. this, this is a great, this is a, a, a wonderful idea. 
this is a horrible idea. This is, <laughs> this is a practical joke that the author plays on the readers. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I realized that and started writing the story and thought, I, I, I like my readers. Mm -hmm. I don't hate you, them enough to do this. You don't this. want to go back and, yeah. But I posted that outline and you, mm -hmm. you can go read it and you can all go see uh, how bad an idea it was. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I actually posted all these things. The character I cut from Elantris is there. We can put that in the liner notes, too. Um, you can read. And I can now see very distinctly um, that he needed to go. Um, and I think this is, brings me back circularly to some, one of my, my hobby horses, I suppose, is the, the telling new writers to give up their pet projects. Um, if you have a project, a, a novel you've been working on for years and years and years, um, this is specifically for novels, um, time to give it up and start something new because you're going to get so attached to it that you're not going to be able to kill your darlings. In fact, I think that ruins more first books than a lot of other things. By the time you finish that first book, you've usually learned how to write pretty well um, and you're, you're picking up on a lot of things, but you're usually not willing to go back and take the hatchet to it to cut out the bad parts. They say that you have to write a million practice words mm -hmm. before they're really any good. Those words should not all be in the same book. Yeah. <laughs> if it's that big, mm. it, you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. I think this is actually very good advice. I would say for the majority, the vast majority of authors, uh, your entire first book is a little darling that needs to be axed mm -hmm. in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you guys oh, can't boy. see this in Radio Land, but Howard just spit all over the table. Nice spit take. Um, wow. It's... And this this is true of so many people. This was entirely true for me. I know it was true for Brandon. I read um, your first book. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the first project, it's usually something that you've been thinking about since high school, mm -hmm. and it's this wonderful world you've created. It's probably very derivative. Um, it probably is way too bloated, much bigger than it ought to be. For um, your skill level, particularly. Yes. And, and yes, I'd love for you to write that book, but I'd love even more for you to stop writing that book and write your second one at some point because that's going to help you progress much more as a writer. And you know what? After you've written a couple of books or had some practice, um, at, the, at the end of doing that, you've written four or five books, you come back to that first one, you'll be willing to kill the darlings then. You'll have mm -hmm. written to the point that you now know how to give the... Um, give the yeah, you'll know what to give the axe to. I did this, um, I did this with, uh, with my first book, which was dreadful. The revision of it, I did as my seventh book. It turned out pretty good. Um, it didn't get published, but it was good enough to get me an agent, essentially, um, who said, okay, let's, let's do your next book instead. But this one's pretty good. Um, so, <clears throat> what's that? Okay. Um, Four minutes. Four minutes, yes, that's what that was. Um, if you want to see a good, another good example of this, uh, I would go to the, um, anyone seen The Sixth Sense? Have you guys watched the, the, the deleted scenes from Sixth Sense? I have not. He has a big, Shyamalan does a big discussion of killing your darlings because he killed his darling for that book, or for that movie. Uh, and the last deleted scene is his darling. He actually filmed it. And then it was the, one of the things that made him want to film the movie. It was a scene at the end of the movie, or no, not in, not in the end, somewhere in the middle. But anyway, he cut it out, um, and he explains why. I think it's it's just wonderful. Um, any, do you have any more examples? Have you ever had to do it, Dan? Um, yes, uh, I I have. I uh, in, let, let's go ahead and talk about uh, my uh, first real book that I I 
actually my third book, but the first one after, you know, the initial two crappy ones that we just finished talking about. Um, I had a what I thought was a hilarious ending to that book. It was kind of a vampire comedy, historical, literary thing. It was very weird. My books don't fit into genres. Anyway, um, it's about a guy who is mistaken for a vampire and is being chased around Victorian London. And in the end, um, there was a big showdown in the mansion of the Lord of the Vampires. And the, the main lead vampire was killed by vampiric rabbits. Um, because they, oh, wow. he had a garland of carrots around his neck that rather than um, averting the and vampires actually this attracted This is actually them. the normal part of the book. <laughs> it was one of the more normal parts of the book. I thought it was so funny. I, I still think it's kind of funny, although in retrospect I can see it was a good idea to, to cut that ending out. But giving it to the, reading, to, to the reading group, they all hated it. I mean, to a person. And it was very difficult for me to come to grips with the fact that my ending was as bad as they said it was. Looking back now, three or four books later, I agree. It was as bad as they said it was. Um, and it took me several tries to get that uh, ending right. Um, but I did have to cut out the evil vampiric bunnies in the garland of carrots. Mm. Um, we've talked about a lot of things. The thing I still think we're dancing around and haven't quite gotten to is how do you know? How do you know if this is the right thing to cut? Second opinion. Second opinion? If it's a little darling, if mm -hmm. it's something you love, by definition, you are too close to it. Mm-hmm. Dan, any suggestions? Um, I, I, I think he's on the right track there because pretty much every uh, anecdote that we've been sharing thus far on this topic involves some kind of outside input. My writing group said this. My editor said this. My fans said this. Mm -hmm. um, that really is the, the point you have to get to. I, I'd like to think that for some, at some point in the future, I'll be such a wonderful author that I'll be able to read my own stuff and say, yeah, this is awful, I need to cut this character out. So what we're really saying then, for all those writers out there in podcast land? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Cast land? Bubble land? Mm -hmm. For all you writers out there in podcast land, if you've written something that you dearly, dearly love, get help. <laughs> <laughs> Final yeah. words for me, I've got, I've got two pieces of advice. Um, very quickly, one of them would be to practice cutting darlings. Find the thing you're most attached to in the book and see if you can cut it out. Um, and oh, that is a mean advice. Yes, but if you can practice it, and then you can start looking with my second bit of advice would be try it both ways. If you're unsure, try it both ways. Give it to um, readers, see what they say. Um, and maybe those ways you can train yourself. Um, specifically, if you practice cutting out the things that you love, when an editor asks you to cut out the things that you love, you're going to be able to do it and they will ask you to cut out things you love. Final words? I don't have any uh, advice. I do have a quick anecdote. Okay. When I was studying drawing at uh, BYU, I took exactly one class, I think that shows. Mm. Um, the teacher related to us this uh, sculpture instructor, very famous sculpture instructor, whose name I can't remember, in New York City, um, would teach this class, and at the end of the class, it was a masterwork class, everybody's got their pottery pieces, lined up and he would go and assign each one a grade and then destroy it with a hammer mm. and awesome. it's heartbreaking but what he explained is you are not going to come out of my class with your masterpiece you are going to go and you are going to create something else mm. and okay maybe i do have advice if you have to cut a little darling 
fine. Cut it because you're a creator. You can create something else that's better. Mm. Dan, yeah. final words? Final words. I think uh, killing your darlings, like all things in writing, uh, improves with practice. And it all comes down to this. Uh, we could end probably every episode by saying, write more and you'll be better. But that's what it all comes down to for me is the more you write, the more you'll realize that you can kill this darling because there's another one right around the corner. You can practice identifying your problems. You can have that problem so frequently that you'll just become accustomed to it and know going in, oh, I know I'm very bad at endings. I know I'm very bad at, you know, adding in extraneous characters. And you'll be able to recognize those things and improve on them with practice. All right. Thank you, guys, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with Episode 4, where we talk about beginnings. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.